Hey there, you've wandered on to the VUC, a weekly conference produced by IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSip.com. You can get a URL that people can click to call you at OnSip.com slash GetOnSip. Speaking of SIP, we use the best PSTN and SIP conference bridge in the world, ZipDX.com. Our website at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. And thanks to Voxbone for our world local rate dial-ins. All right. Thank you, Michael. This is VUC 642 for April 21st, 2017. Our guest today is going to be Dan Jenkins, and he is a longtime friend of uh, the VUC. This is a real community. In fact, I wanted to mention, of course, I'm going to talk about coming to your world for just a second, but just mention the fact that I just uh, sent out a tweet about a guest uh, who is appearing, Media Soup, who's going to be with us May 12th. And you know, a whole bunch of people retweeted it who are working in the same space. This is a real, real community. I mean, this is seriously uh, impressive, that kind of thing, because they could just go, yeah, well, you know, but there, it, there is not a competition thing. Maybe you want to comment on that later, Dan. We'll, we can talk about that. Meanwhile, I want to talk about Kamaio World and the fact that it's May 8th to 10th. It's getting late. So if you're planning on going, if you're thinking about going, please uh, make your plans. And here is a quick shot of Look at this. It's Matt uh, Jordan, who's apparently not coming this year. And uh, the wonderful, uh, somebody filled in the name because Daniel's wife. How do you pronounce somebody? Andy, how do you pronounce her name? That's a very good question. And oh, okay. it deserves a good answer. <laughs> and I can't. Ah, here we go. And there is then this one. Well, look at this. Now, we know a few of these people. First of all, I can see Alex. I, there's an undefined woman next to him who may be my wife. I can't tell. It's very ambiguous. There's Daniel. There's uh, Emil and Jan. Anna. To the right, there's some weird old guy in a hat next to Mira. Then down at the bottom, you've got Danielle looking at some wacky laptop that Tim had. Then there's Nir Simeonovich and the great Ole Johansson in his hat. And hopefully we'll see all these folks. Uh, anyway, Dan, it's been a while. Have you ever even been on VUC? I know we've spoken for ages. Um, I did do a VUC once. I can't remember what it was about. Um, it must have been something to do with Astrocon, I think. I don't know. I definitely have been on, but I have no idea what. Because it's been so long and I'm always hanging around. I'll look it up. You and I, I think, met for the very first time at Astrocon. I gave you a, an old phone that apparently didn't work. Sorry about we that. Did. I did not did. know. I did not know to this day. I did not know that it didn't work. Was it a Polycom? Uh, yeah, it, it was, was a Polycom. Well, I mean, we should have known. We should have known that it wasn't going to work. It should have worked, though. It should have been working. It was working last time I checked. Anyway, we also have Andy Smith with us. Mr. Bodie will not be able to join us today, but Mr. Tim Patton's here. And, of course, Michael Graves, who has done what? About 379 to 479 uh, these, Michael? I'm out of focus. I, yeah, I'm old enough. I don't have that memory anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been at this a while. Well, Dan. And we may not have had the uh, the habit of asking people how they got into technology in the first place to get a little bit of their background and their youthful uh, enthusiasm. So maybe we should start with that, especially since you don't have any slides. So let's talk about you. Cool. What is your okay. life? Um, how did I get into technology? Um, so I, I guess I, I I think I did a I did an article a couple of years ago um, for a conference, um, and they were asking about this. Uh, it was all pretty much because of my dad. Um, he he like helped us build computers. 
brothers when when I was younger. Like I've got three brothers, so there were four of us. Uh, imagine having to like kit us out with with tech. Um, so like my dad helped us make our own computers, and like that's how I got into tech. And then like started making websites. Um, went to university, didn't really necessarily learn very much, um, but I did do a year in industry while I was at university. Um, and yeah, um, from from that year in industry, like that catapulted me into into industry. Um, anyone watching that is thinking about doing a year in industry at university, do it. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Um, yeah, got into got into industry, um, did web dev for a couple of years and got into real time communication through that. And the rest is history, apparently. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of I, I guess I've been doing like computer type stuff since I was probably, I don't know, 10 years old nine years old um at least that's that's all that i can remember so you see the, the interesting thing about this is that you are exactly the person you are exactly the target market for all this web rtc stuff you're the web dev that was supposed to be enticed into bringing rtc you know to the broader world exactly so how are we doing Poor <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, I kind of had a kickstart in terms of um, being able to grok it all because um, I, I've spoken about this quite a bit at, at Astrocon, for example. Um, but the way that I got into VoIP was um, the company that I was working for at the time. We were moving away from our analog phone system. I think it was in a yeah, it was in a buyer index system. Um, we were moving away from that to to Asterisk, um, and we had a custom CRM system, and we needed to integrate the two bit together so that when a call came in, you you a little thing popped up within the CRM system and pre-populated stuff. So that's I was meant to do that. I was meant to do like the web side of it. That eventually grew into like doing more more of the VoIP side of it. I don't pretend to be a VoIP expert at all. Um, I am a web developer uh, who happens to know enough. Um, and then, yeah, WebRTC kind of came around um, just after we started like going live with with traffic to our VoIP system. And I was like, oh, this is this is cool. This is amazing. Like we we can get rid of we can get rid of our our soft phones. We can integrate it entirely within the CRM system. And like five years, that was five six years ago um, when it would just kind of launch, um, and it was terrible. And, and even even as a web dev who knew enough, um, it was still terrible. Um, let alone browser support. Um, but like the the whole trying to get devs into things, etc. That in itself was terrible. Um, and and today today it's better, but we're still not there as much as we could be. Um, yeah, you were going to be talking. About- about tools in a, in a moment uh, that was your uh, that was what you proposed to talk about but curious uh, in the days when you were starting out with web dev what were the tools then that you were using so at, at the very very beginning um, so I was a PHP dev um, way back when so PHP MySQL um, and some HTML and that was it so like things were things were easy back then um, I mean I'm only 28 but things were easy back then um, what, like, version you, of you, what was your first version of PHP uh, Five, 5.5, I think. I started on two, oh, just, just to show you why I have white hair. <laughs> um, so yeah, way, way, way back when you were writing static web pages, and then, and then we started doing some AJAX, like to make things like here quicker and without having to reload pages, and that was cool. And and now today, web development, it, I, I, I would say it, it's actually one of the hardest things to do. Um, in comparison to like being a a native app developer um that's the closest thing i guess in terms of comparison um a native app developer builds for a specific platform um and and to a degree sdk 
SDKs kind of deal with a lot of the headaches for you. And so you build using that SDK. Um, yeah, you can go back and support versions way back when and, and that adds complexity, but you've got a limited amount of things you can do because you're integrating with an SDK that Google or or Apple have given you. Um, the web is is so, so different that it, it's almost impossible to get started in web development today. Like there are so many different avenues you can go down. Um, whether or not, whether or not, yeah, whether or not someone new coming into web development could actually get started and, and know that they're doing the right thing um, is extremely tricky. What about frameworks? Because, uh, oops, because um, towards the end, I mean, I actually <laughs> did some work in this uh, way, way back when, as I said, started with PHP 2, right when I first started it went to three that was already a headache then went to four or five and so on but php which by the way for those of you who don't know stands for pretty homepage uh you would be able to catch rasmus on php and talk about this i mean this is one of the things that impressed me about it but anyway php okay people badmouth it i think it's a terrific prototyping tool especially if you already know c which was the case for me because before php i was i was writing c apps and forking to them on the web you know it's still good today for so many things um like we we keep I, i I do an awful lot of development in in Node.js, and we'll come on to that. Um, mm-hmm. But but Node is great for a certain thing, and it just so happens that a lot of what I do at the moment, Node is good for. Um, but PHP is great for so many different things. It, it may not necessarily be perfect for a lot of website development anymore, but just as a general programming language, it's absolutely brilliant for an awful lot of things. Um, I, I would definitely, I, I still write PHP script for certain things because I want things to happen in a particular way, and PHP is great for that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a huge, I mean, we're probably in the 10% of people who don't constantly badmouth it, but it's very useful for some things. just wanted to look back. I have a book. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to find it easily, but um, there was a site I had to take over. And who hasn't had this problem, by the way, where you, somebody is desperately looking for a developer and it's just one framework that you don't know or something. So, I've, you know, Dan, you've probably done this too. You probably had to buy the book or find the site about framework X. But I just wanted to ask before we get to today, before we zoom forward, have, if you've had any experience with frameworks, one of the most horrible ones I had was actually a framework that was meant to be used with Flash. And I've got to tell you, there is no one on the planet that hates Flash as much as I do. As as a person who has to develop a site, let's say, uh, I don't know it. I can't. I can't manage it. I'm not good at the graphics or the scripting. And it just seems so, you know, it's like you're blind in there, unless you know all of that stuff. Anyway, Mm -hmm. frameworks, uh, Dan, uh, were you forced to use or did you use favorite frameworks? So when when I first started um, at this company um when i was just leaving well i was actually still at university um we didn't use a framework um within our old php stack um and even when we started moving code to to node.js for for like apis and things like that um i guess it depends what your definition of framework is but um we again we didn't really use framework um i yeah everyone's had this experience where uh you you inherit something or or as a consultant myself like um you get asked to go in and and help out a a client and they're using whatever um they're using a specific thing that you've never used before and you have to kind of get up to speed very very quickly um so yeah frameworks are great 
Um, and if if you spend the time to, to really know them inside out, then they're great. Um, they're not so great if you just want to use like one basic thing. And I guess that's where I love Node. So I don't have to use framework. I, I can just use this one thing. Um, other language, like PHP has kind of caught up with that, um, uh, being able to do things like that. But I guess that's why I loved Node, what, four or five years ago. Well, one name that came to my mind right away, I typed it into IRC, is Code Igniter. So, so these are... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I had a book, but I, I just got rid of a bunch of books, and that was one of them. God. Uh, but when you don't know it, and you just have to start looking at it, and then they're they're all very similar, just similar enough to trip you up. I guess. I think that today, though, when I say framework today, you know, I would say API, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a very similar or library. I don't know. Um, so let's we're going to zoom forward to today, unless uh, Tim maybe has a comment. He's got his hands behind his head. He might. You could you could share your experience. You start with him. Good grief! Yeah, you've worked me up here. Um, yeah. I know what uh, all I was going to say is that I think that this sort of API framework um, kind of thing is blurring a little bit that you find that I mean, certainly when we were doing Tropo what you would find is that like we had an API but then you had to like make it usable in different environments um, and, and so like having an API isn't enough you have to like have an API and it has to support React.js or it has to work in, in jQuery or whatever so it's like this is as a supplier of these things it's like it's actually really hard to guess which framework people are going to use so and that can and that can entirely influence how successful your product is because you want people to start using it straight off the bat um, and not get bored with it this is the problem that we had with WebRTC. We wanted people to start playing around with it and get started. And people get tried and failed miserably. Like if, if anyone's watched my um, WebRTC Reborn talk, you're going to hear this all again. Um, but people tried, people failed, and then they left. They they left. Um, they they lost interest in in the project, in what it could do. And it's taken us five and a half, six years to get back to a point where web dev, as you said earlier, they were the, the real target. Um, web devs are starting to come back to to try it out again and go oh this this works now um so yeah in terms of frameworks and, and libraries and things um if you guess wrong it can really really influence your end product but it's such a moving target as well that you know oh, yeah. what particularly with 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 javascript like who's what's the trendy um you know framework these days is, is va- changes from minute to minute it's like well not quite that bad but i mean i'm i'm hugely it feels that bad yeah it does feel that bad and like i said earlier like that that is actually one of the key problems for for web dev today um like knowing knowing what to use and when and the reasons behind that and there are so many different things they're all great for different things um like writing a react component and or, or using polymer or using angular or five other projects um why why should you use each one and and, and that's actually half well, more than half the battle. I, right. I still love I still love the pipe thing behind Tim. I get mesmerized when he's on the screen. <laughs> My turn to wake up, I guess. So we're at the point of talking, Dan, about um, today and the tools you're using. Uh, by the way, the first time I met Tim in person, uh, there was a discussion between Jason, um, Jason Gecki, right? Was uh, in the car and I had to listen to these guys for like two hours to Berlin, to uh, from Berlin to wherever we were going, talking Rostov. about all these. And also, yeah, talk, Rostov, talking about Rostov. Talk, talking about these different platforms, uh, and I think it was already IoT by that at that point. But anyway, point is, uh, the, the, you just Dan, you just mentioned about three names that I've heard of, and about eight that I've never heard of. So uh, let's get into that anyway. To, today, we're back from the future. Cool. I, I, where, where do you want me to start? I, I mean, I so what are you doing I, right now? What are you doing I, right I, now? And what are you going to okay. be showing at Camellia World? Okay. Um, so. 
If people don't know, uh, I, I run a business called Nimble8 uh, in the UK, and we're a real-time consultancy, essentially. Um, and I, I, I help clients all over the world. Um, I've got a client in the Philippines, got a client in, in South Africa, got a couple in, in Europe and the US, so far-reaching. Um, and, and they're all pretty much real-time web app in some form, um, whether or not that's using um, SIP, using like JSSIP or whatever, um, SIP to integrate into a, a telephony stack of some description, um, whether or not that's making a a native app using React Native, um, it, anything real time. Uh, that's that's what I'm doing today. Um, well, actually, today I was actually cutting down um, a bush behind my shed because I'm getting rid of my shed um, and I'm making a new office. Um, but generally, uh, generally, um, real time stuff um, using using web tooling. Um, I guess that's my biggest thing. Um, I don't do C programming. Um, if anyone's seen that. Uh, Dev Astrid, Astrid DevCon. I'm the guy that stands up and goes, I don't write C, I don't write C plus plus or whatever. Um, I'm a web dev and and we should be making it easier for web devs to get into these projects. I'm that guy. Um, so yeah, uh, most of what I write is using web tooling. Um, and I, I guess yeah, we can we can kind of go from there. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of web tooling. Um, and I, I, hmm, yeah, so um, take it. Let's take a step back. Actually, um, so I, I work from home, um, and um, I, I've worked from home for I don't know, must be coming up to four years now. Um, so so working from home in itself is actually difficult. Um, and and I mean, Tim works from home. Andy works from home most some of the time. Uh, I think Kathleen works from home. You haven't seen Kathleen yet, but Kathleen is on the hangout. Um, he works from home too. Uh, Michael works from home we're all people that work from home and and that has its own challenges um so i I guess let's talk about um working from home first um and then we can go into like code and and things like that um so so how how do i how do i code every day um so i'm standing up uh, i've got a sit-stand desk um absolutely vital i believe um i've got an anti-fatigue mat so that my back doesn't hurt um and my sit-stand desk came from Ikea. Um, there's a blog about it on my on the number eight blog. Um, like a sit-stand desk from Ikea costs about 400 quid, which is like a third of the price of a normal one. Um, so I, I, that's like my, this is my workstation every day. Um, and so it's worth it. Um, and, and I have a separate room. I, I don't work from a table or anything like that. Um, when I go to work, I, I leave my house and I go go to work. Um, and I think that's really, really important. So that's working from home. Um, I, I, actually, I actually got a puppy a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, so working from home with a puppy that is howling every day for whatever reason is actually very new to me. Um, we've, we've got another dog, but he was, he was really, really quiet. Um, this one yaps and yaps. Anyway, uh, so, so yeah, um, software. Um, I, historically, I've, used, I have, I've never used like an IDE when I write code. Um, I don't like IDEs because they do an awful lot for you. I, I like to know my code. Um, and, and so knowing, knowing exactly what what's being what what's happening where um why something's been inserted in a certain place etc so i've never really used an ide um and and i guess i've always i've always used mac most of 90 percent of my development has always been on mac um and so like these java heavy ides i never really like them um and and so i've always used like sublime tech or way back in the day something called coda um but really recently microsoft has stunned everyone and come out with this really really nice software 
uh, called Visual Studio Code. Um, and it's kind of like an IDE, but it's not. Um, and it lets you have plugins and things like that. Um, it, the same that um, Sublime Text used to give me. Um, but it seems Visual Studio Code is like more more robust and it just works. Um, and I'm I'm loving using Visual Studio Code. So if you're if you're using Sublime Text three, for example, I definitely recommend like moving over to Visual Studio Code for a week. Like give it a week, and and if you still don't like it, then move back. But um, give it enough of a go, and and it does enough does enough clever things for you um, that you go, oh, that's nice. But it doesn't do too much. Um, so I like that. Uh, so I said I, I work on a Mac every day. Um, so I've got a 2013, late 2013 MacBook Pro and a 4K monitor. Um, so I use the 4K monitor most of the time. And, and when I'm out meeting clients or whatever, then, then the MacBook. Um, so yeah, um, whether or not we I end up getting a new MacBook when they when Apple realized their mistake. Um, um, probably. Um, but for now, like a, a three and a half, four, three and a half, yeah, three and a half year old MacBook Pro is doing wonders. But yeah, um, I use an item, some, something called item2 um, as my uh, terminal uh, instead of terminal. Uh, again, item2 does it like some really, really nice things. Um, I should probably show you some of these things. Um, let me show you. I'm just trying to find stuff that I can actually show. AI client, that'll do. Um, yeah, so let me share my screen. Uh, share my entire screen. Don't share the 4K screen because you won't be able to see anything. That's the only there downside. We go. Of a 4K there we go. Screen. Got it. Yeah, that's the only downside of a 4K screen. You can't share a 4K screen because like it all becomes tiny. Um, so yeah, I use iTerm, uh, iTerm two, um, with um, oh my ZS8, which is the thing that does all the nice colors around my Git. Um, so um, if I made a change, for example, touch a, a new file, then it goes yellow, um, and it does loads of other things um, and tells me my state of Git, for example. Um, but yeah, iTerm two gives you, I guess, more flexibility than Terminal does. Um, if I open that in um, Microsoft Visual Cut, uh, Visual Visual Studio Code. Um, so it looks very, very much like um, looks very, very much like uh, Sublime Text Three. Um, but there's an awful lot of integrations. Uh, there's a lot of um, like you can run Node, for example, um, in a debug mode within straight within um, Visual Studio Code, which is great for me. Um, being able to run code within that's very an IDE feature. Um, but like I said earlier, like it, it doesn't do too much. Um, so yeah, Visual Studio Code um, and um, item. Three item two uh, on a map. That that's my dev environment, and that might seem really really basic. Um, but I I like to I like to write code like that. Um, I I'd like to know exactly what's going on um, and having complete control. Um, but I yeah. So I I mean um, I don't just do code. Um, I I speak at conferences as well. Um, so. I do, and I, I use I use Keynote um, for that. I I pretty much hate Google um, Google what, Google Slides. Docs. Docs. Yeah, Google Docs, Google Slides. Um, I hate it. Um, it. It doesn't give you enough like control. And way but like again, way back when um, when I first started writing slides for for conferences, um, I was like, oh, I'm a web developer. I'm gonna write my slides using HTML. Um, and there's there's like slide.js and and it helps you. And but you could never get like the, your positioning of things in exactly the right place and all of that. So I, I think like four or five talks into trying to do things the web developer way, I gave up and I used the right tool for the job 
and that was keynote um so yeah as, as you can tell i'm a use the right tool for the job kind of guy um so that's that's like how i write code um but there's a ton of communication involved in in being able to communicate with people like you people like my clients um uh, and that doesn't just happen on on email um and because my clients are worldwide um i don't talk on the phone to them so yeah, we're, like, we're still looking we're still looking at that one screen i wanted to mention uh, to you first of all okay let me second I, of all i had a question corrado mentioned prezi and that's true that we've messed with that and that's another it's an online thing yeah um, yeah, for, yeah for but i had a question for you regarding okay so we were talking at the very beginning uh, many of us have used basically lamp stack right so you talking mm-hmm. mysql php and um last linux whatever the other a whatever the other letter is in <laughs> Uh, point being, um, a lot of people have moved away from MySQL for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Wondering about uh, databases, I think that'd be an interesting subtopic here. Oh, that's what, a, yeah, that is interesting. What I mean, that? What, what's what do you see happening, and what are you doing? So, um, typically, I still use MySQL um, because it's good. Uh, if you use MySQL in the right way, you give it the right indexes and, and everything else that it needs. MySQL is brilliant. Um, it, it makes you stay to a schema. Um, you can't just go and oh, I'm just going to go add this data, um, this this extra key. I'm just going to add this key in. And so half your data now has that key half of it doesn't um, and it's not so bad when you're the sole developer on a project because you know you know that that is the case but when you've got a team of five or six or 20 or you're throughout the globe and you're working remotely um, like trying to keep up with Mongo for example um, can be tricky um, so I still love MySQL um, and it doesn't hurt that people like Amazon and Google also think that it's brilliant um, because you can't get a hosted Mongo from Google or Amazon, for example. Um, you can get a hosted MySQL. You can get a hosted um, Postgres, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, again, using the right tool for the job um, and and knowing knowing the limits and how to get the most out of a tool. Um, and MySQL, even though it's a, it's a little clunky, the fact that you have to like, there's a lot of rules. Those rules are there to actually protect you in the long term. And it will actually save you from messing up and, and potentially losing thousands or millions of currency. I wonder if Tim has any comment on databases? I'm waking oh, up I, again. Yeah, yeah I do. Oh, wait a minute. Andy says he does. Andy, go for it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of the things um, I still use. Uh, transactional databases in general um, and I can't really explain why but at the same time I cannot see and have yet to find a really persuasive reason, reason for using a flat database right. for using a, a text only database it, as far as I'm concerned it's it's no more efficient and it's just confusing to me but maybe that's because I've always used transactional databases I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure so I'm, I'm a fan of Redis um, like if, if something's simple and, and, and doesn't really need a, like if you can spot the schema straight off and you know exactly what the index is going to be or the index is going to be uh, then you can drop it into Redis and you'll get fantastic performance it's really really easy to run um, and it's just you know it's a really good and it'll run on little things and it's kind of easy to set up and all of that stuff so so beyond that though I think I then kind of jumped to, to Postgres because I kind of want things like the thing I really liked about, I mean, you did stacks of Oracle back in the day. And the thing I really liked about that was the fact that you could put stored procedures in there. Mm -hmm. So you could say, you know, you could bury not, 
exactly the business logic, but the rules. You could say you can't, like, yeah, things that you couldn't express in the schema, but that you wanted to enforce, you could put into stored procedures and make sure that they always happen. Um, and that that was, I kind of, you know, I don't see, a, I don't personally have a need for anything that's in between those two. It either falls into the so simple, I immediately know what it is and I'll use Redis, or complicated enough to work, be worth designing, and in which case I'll pay the overhead of, of using Postgres or Oracle if the customer's paying for it exactly right um but i yeah there, there are there are tons of databases out there now um in terms of different offering different things um and and points within them um so i can't, for the life of me i can't remember the name of it right now but there's a database um that is being used it's graph something um it's being you can essentially give it out as an api um it can become your restful api and it's just a database um which seems interesting because i front MySQL with an API. Um, so I'm a firm believer in this rule set of there is one owner of data. Um, and so one person, whether or not that's one person having access to a MySQL database um, or one API having access to it, and that API is in control of that data. Um, rather than 10 people from a company all logging into MySQL and then like writing their own queries to get the data that they really want, like because they're be they're able to write their own queries and manipulate that data, for example. Um, there should be one owner of the data and, and so APIs, for example, um, sitting in front of the database become that owner. Um, it's interesting to me to for, for, the, for that database to then become that API, for example. So yeah, there are, there are tons of different options out there. Um, Redis is, is great for certain things. Um, MySQL is better at other things. Um, Mongo is nice some of the time, but then when you come to like production and you need to scale it, oh, that's not so easy. So um, yeah, a lot of startups kind of fall at that hurdle. Oh, let's use that nice Mongo database that, that allows me to put JSON blob in there and hey presto, it, kind of just works oh i've now got a problem because i need to scale um so it's just figuring out figuring out the thing that's right for you but my skills is far from dead in exactly the way that php is far from dead it's interesting that uh, michael mentioned uh, maria or mariah depending on which way you want you want to set say it as being uh, the open source con continued version if you like of mysql or mysql um and I, I don't know if any if anybody's actually got any experience of using it i haven't used um, Maria or Mariah um, at all because why do I need to? Oracle, yeah, haven't, I have. done well, Oracle haven't done anything with the licensing on, on MySQL so uh, whilst it remains the same and it could change that might be a good reason for using a different database. I've seen any evidence that's likely to happen. So continue to use MySQL as far as I'm concerned. Right. So there, there are other gains for using I, 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 I say Mariah. Um, there are performance gains for using Mariah. Um, we were considering moving over in a previous role. We were considering moving over from MySQL um, over to Mariah just for performance gain. Um, so there are gains out there. And I'm pretty sure AWS now allow you to, to run Mariah instead of MySQL. Yes. Um, right. So it's becoming easier and easier to run it. Um, and and for sure, there are, there are definite gains for doing so. Yeah. It, as far as I remember, uh, Maria SQL is practically a plugin replacement for, for right. SQL. Yeah, uh, there's very little that you need, need to do. It reads the MyCNF configuration file. 
directly. So as far as I as I know, yeah, that's that's the point. And it's is a newer base code. So in fact, yes, it's more efficient memory uh, transactionally. Everything it's newer. Newer is better. Newer, <laughs> newer, but still works with all the old stuff. Yes, yes. backward yeah. compatible, of course. Actually. Um... Now that you mention it, uh, both of you, MySQL, uh, PHP, uh, WordPress, how many <laughs> installations are there of WordPress out there? And that's based on those two things, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, still, it's it's not just alive, it's hugely alive. Whether that's a good thing, I mean, there's also lots of uh, terrible exploits of all of that stuff. Yeah, we, we, we used to have a thing when I did the security consulting, we used to have a thing about know you could little running joke about how you could tell whether it was going to be a, a site where you'd find a lot of bugs and the answer was if it was a home rolled PHP framework then you were in in you know in for a lot of work finding all of the bugs because there would be a ton of them and, and things got better when people started using like the established PHP frameworks that had actually had some thought into the security of them and and, and you know didn't let you um inject uh, do sql injections totally trivially and and that kind of stuff so. the, the word zend comes into my brain it wasn't that the compiled uh that is a framework a framework that runs on php which uh, is also but it's like compiled or there's some advantage yeah. it'll compile to something that you can't uh you can't deassemble as far you can't disassemble for source i mean that was one of the things that it did that's yeah. that goes back already quite a few years is that even still a thing zend yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Although I literally just threw out a Zen 5.3 um, coursework, but um, I just moved house and I was going through all my boxes. And I came across this big folder of, of coursework for my Zen qualification. I was like, ah, oh, that's a bit old now. I mean, we're on PHP 7 now. Um, yeah. I'm not sure where P- where Zend is now, um, but but yeah, uh, it's a little bit old now. But there, there were several frameworks around BHP and around other things. Uh, if anybody can name some other frameworks for web development, I'd, I'd love to hear the names because yeah. CodeIgniter was not the one I used. I mean, I didn't use any of them, but that was the one I was you know kind of forced to use. But I had to look at a bunch of other ones, and I know there are at least three very popular ones. Andy, were you going to say? Yeah, well, I'm, I was looking at a little bit of a list of them, and, and I, I've had some experience with some of these, but not, not all of them. Codeigniter was one, of course, which you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Laravel seems to be the most popular at the moment, and it's probably the most recent of, of the uh, introduced more formal um, PHP frameworks. And it's but, actually really, really nice. I, it does an awful lot for you, um, but doesn't, I, I think, doesn't overstep the bounds, like I was saying with Visual Studio Code. Um, it does a load of nice stuff for you, um, so you don't have to repeat a load of stuff that you shouldn't. It, do, it just puts a load of stuff into PHP that you, that should have been there anyway. Um, or maybe I'm just picky in what I'm using. It's interesting. I just looked at. I just happened to, you know, from a search, found the so-called ten, the ten frameworks. And Cake PHP is another one that I was forced to look at because somebody was using it. Um, let's go really quickly through the ten, though. Symphony S Y M F O N Y is after Laravel. I don't know if this is in order or not. Code Igniter, Yi2, Y-I-E2. Uh, Falcon, P-H-L, like phallic. Falcon. All right, never mind that. Cake, PHP, Zend, we mentioned. Uh, and Slim, S-L-I-M. Slim is a micro framework, provides you blah, blah, blah. Fuel, PHP, never heard of it personally. It was community-driven, uh, 5.3. PHP, PHPixie, PH, okay? Anybody heard, uh, Dan, are you, how many of those have you heard of or worked with? Like three. <laughs> 
I think most of those are obscure. The only one I mentioned the two that I know, which were Coded Igniter and Cake, which again, somebody brought this. Oh, we have this website. It's developed in Cake PHP, and the developer got married and he moved to, you know, Mauritius Island, and now we need somebody. The classic, by the way, is people bringing you an incredibly complex Flash program. What is it called? Active something, whatever their language, their JavaScript is called. Um, Action script. Yeah, action script. Thank you. <laughs> action script, and uh, the, that person is no longer in business, or doesn't is not available, or they got mad, or they didn't get paid. And you have to look at that stuff, and that is just. I mean, I would never take anything on like that again. Atrocious. <laughs> Okay. Well, that that speaks to something, though. There's actually, and um, this is kind of close to home, there seems to be an opportunity um, because, believe it or not, there are a lot of, like, heavy flash sites out there still in existence. And there's a big opportunity for people to, you know, move these guys to new stuff. No, but, I don't believe that. I, I I think if people, if companies wanted to move, then they would have, like, companies are losing revenue right now because Flash is now disabled in, in Chrome. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it, 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 it makes sense for these certain companies, like the, these companies that do like um, floor, I, I was looking for floor planners um, for the other day. Um, to, to make a floor plan and um, they were all Flash and I was like well I'm I'm not going to use that because Flash is disabled for a reason now um, and, and so if, if companies really wanted to move then they would have done it um, I can't believe I can't believe that there's actually any money in that in terms of the amount of effort it would take um, versus the reward maybe well, I, I think this I think there's I think there's two perspectives I, I have some first-hand knowledge of this I know somebody who is shopping right now to have this done and you have have to bear in mind that we're not talking about somebody who's just got you know a little bit of flash gracing a few things on their website but um somebody who's got you know a large scale kind of almost video conferency kind of thing going on and they're finally saying okay we have to move this now because they have sort of a production circumstance going and it's not sustainable right they they now have to build something because they know that it's not going to go forward so the question then is what is adobe going to do to migrate that ecosystem because even their own Adobe Connect stuff is moving to HTML5 or has right. moved. I'm not sure where that is, but but you know there is an opportunity there, and 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 the obvious choice is WebRTC. But that's the only thing that's obvious. Then how you do that, and mm-hmm. whether you platform as a service or whether you uh, build it, buy it, I don't know, rent it, uh, white label something else. Who knows, right? But it, that's a. How does a web dev go down that path with a, a, a prospect? Because there's a lot of variables there. Oh. Oh, wow, that's that's a conversation. I mean, we've got twelve minutes left. I think I could go on for another <laughs> half an hour. You know, um, that that is really difficult. Um, I guess it depends on like the the amount of the amount of logic that's then been written into that thing for for however many years. Um, I, I've got firsthand knowledge in in migrating a I think it was a 15 year old PHP stack um, over to to node um, well parts a lot a large proportion of it we've got we were moving over to node um, and so that was actually really difficult um, and in the end we actually cheated we, we actually got our node new node stack talking to our old PHP stack because the PHP stack had all the knowledge um, and then we slow like slowly migrated things uh, instead of kind of doing a big bang um, and I guess it's the same in in 
in that sense, are, when it comes to like migrating someone over from from Flash um, over to like WebRTC for that specific thing, um, there's there's so much that generally there's so so many com- complex rules that moving a website or moving a platform um, takes takes years um, and and then add on a couple of years to what you planned in the first place. <laughs> Um, and, and then you might be close. Um, so, and then that figure that you would give to, to the company would be astronomical. And then they'd say, no, we're not going to do that. Um, or we'll find a 10 year old kid in a, in a bedroom that can do it for, half, for a fraction of the price. That's actually a very, very common um, when it comes to web development, um, because web development is, is actually like all you need is a computer to, to, to develop for, for the web. Whereas you need to generally you need devices and things for, for like app development, etc. Um, developing for the web and then publishing to the web is actually really simple in its most simple form. Um, and so you yeah, you, you, as a web dev, um, there are kids out there in their in their um, bedrooms whacking out websites for a fraction of the price that you would do it for, um, because they're doing it for fun, um, and that's great. It's like the next generation of, of web devs, but it hurts people that are trying to make a, a real living uh, out of it. Sorry, sidetrack there, but um, well, and and don't feel that that's unique to web devs because I, I I just read an editorial not long ago that was by a musician and said if you know. If you're inviting me to play at your wedding, don't invite me to play and expect that you won't pay me because you're paying for all these other things involved in having a wedding. And if you right. need music, you have to pay the musicians because the musicians are trying to make a living. And you know, right. it's it's the it's the are we amateurs or are we professionals? And yeah. what's this? You just right. woke me up. You just woke me up, Michael. But um, <laughs> important and not about music, uh, Dan is yeah. That's a very very big thing that there are people. Look, um, you could go on Amazon Mechanical Turk and. Uh, uh, look for bids or or anywhere in the markets of India, Pakistan, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you can find people who will do a very, very complex uh, application for you. And it'll cost like $300 or something. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the price obviously depends on what you're trying to do. But the point is they would underbid by, I don't know, maybe 90% cheaper or something. But um, if you're talking about that or if you're talking about uh, young people, I would relate that a little bit to dentistry. Um, you know, most of you may know that uh, dental implants are a great new technology and they can be kind of expensive or the con- the laser surgery costs, you know, a certain, whatever it costs. It's in the thousands. You can go to a certain Eastern European countries and I know people who, who know people, I don't know anybody right. directly, who have said, oh, but so-and-so, you know, goes to, I don't know, some Eastern European country and the, the implant is, it's like $100, you know? And I'm going, yeah, well, first of all, what does it cost to go back there when you have problems? And second of all, all right, enough of implants or laser surgery, but let's talk about your web application. Uh, there's a couple of looming, really important factors here. And one of them is security. What are you going to do with this, you know, complex, convoluted flash or some other app that depends on no one knows what library? Uh, yes, uh, communication is, you know, instant. So you could, you could, these people are on the other side of the world. Fine. You can, you can email them or you can, uh, you can slack with them or whatever, <laughs> Skype, whatever it is. But uh, what if they're not available? Um, this is true of your local people, but you have a relationship with them. So people like you, Dan, or, or Tim, or anyone who's done this work, by the way, uh, this is a huge difference. 
And unfortunately, we are all, everybody, musicians, hey, you got a DJ and he can play music, he or she, play music and uh, yeah, we got music. But you know, that music, while people are dancing, uh, the people who are responsible for this event may be in serious trouble, especially if we're talking about apps, security, financials, uh, you know. It's a it's a major thing. So yeah, totally sensitive to that. Anybody else have comments, questions? Uh, that was a real downer, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I, I I was gonna gonna follow up on that actually, which is Please that, do. that I think that you know the ability for like the flip side of that is that the ability for somebody to get their um, you know their nephew to build a, a website for their small business using Wix or or one mm-hmm. of the kind of website in a box things and and have something um, or even like Twitter Bootstrap or, or or whatever and have something that represents their company on the web um, in a way that you know that you simply couldn't do even what, five or six years ago having a website. I remember when we put the first I put the first website up that we did for a bookshop in Amsterdam and I can't tell you how much they spent on doing that but it was like you know basically they had to own the service they had to have the internet link they had to like and we you know we created the idea that well we could put a bunch of these in a room and share an internet link and then we could run websites for multiple companies and like you know this whole thing but that and that was a fantastically expensive thing to do and now it isn't so it isn't it isn't difficult for people who are running a small gardening business or a you know dog walking business to have a website that represents them and i think that's great i think that and those things, because they're all standardized, they're actually reasonably secure. It's when you start trying to do something clever that's specific to your your business and that's handling money or handling, you know, client details in a way that's not obvious, then you're in trouble. And, and you're in trouble surprisingly quickly. Um, I think that you have a much worse problem with things like having your nephew or niece do the translation if you're not an English native speaker. I've seen countless examples of that. And uh, the one that we uh, always laugh about is... Welcome in my website. So, you know, uh, there's a there's a danger in that. Yes, it's fantastic that anybody can get on the web and um, you could still actually do a fairly convincing site if it's just flat uh, with, just oh, yeah. a text, with a, just a text editor. I mean, it's, you know, then it becomes more a matter of taste, actually. And cost. Yeah, no, but what I mean by taste is uh, if if we set everybody on this thing, uh, Andy, Corrado, Dan, Kathleen, Michael, Tim, and myself, if everybody asked us to do a single web page, so there would be all these different versions, but the point with a a text editor. But the point is, we could probably all come up with a page that wasn't too nauseating, assuming we're not completely colorblind or have other, you know, really incredibly non-design uh, you know but they are not that's non-database driven so it's it's a passive page it's just information but you know there's plenty of bad stuff out there that's done that way too so that's what i meant by taste right i think the other thing i was going to pick up on was the ide i we were talking about dan was talking about this at the very beginning about how he doesn't really believe in ides and i thought well hang on i just let me just have a look and I have, I currently have three IDEs open. Um, and uh, this is why I need a Mac with plenty of memory. But um, but I have, I currently have 
uh, WebStorm, which I find is the best way of editing JavaScript. It's a really nice JavaScript editor. It, it does the indentation right. It understands what the you know what methods are available and, and 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 keeps track of stuff. And it will let you do things like coffee scripts and whatever automatically. Do syntax checking on that. Um, I have uh, NetBeans for my Java and Scala needs, um, and I think the thing that 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 I love about NetBeans in particular is that as you get older, you stop being able to remember function names, even if you just wrote them. And and the the great thing about NetBeans is that it will remind you. You start typing, you know, get what was it? Get something, and it will give you a list of the functions that could be called in that context on that method or on that object. And there you go, you pick the one, and 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 then it'll tell you what kinds of arguments that takes. And you think, oh, okay, well I've got one of those, and you can put it in. So I, it just saves me an immense amount of typing and having to remember stuff, which I I don't need my head full of that stuff. It, it's I can let the computer delegate that off to the computer. And then yep. the, the final idea I've got is is Xcode because if you want to build something on the Mac, you kind of have to. Um, like it's not even it is optional in theory, but in practice, if you certainly if you want to build something for the iPhone, you're you're stuck with Xcode. That's the story. Not strictly true, Tim. Like if you use React Native or or other web tooling, um, you would not have to use Xcode. You still have to sign it before you can the, put it on the App Store. Oh, you have to do one thing in an IDE right? like in, in that, the, that, that, that is, specific IDE that, yeah that is not that is not using an IDE in, no like, alright Xcode is not an IDE in that in that sense it is a tool um, that you're using to sign something I um, was interested to see that, that Xcode since the last time I used it has been um, has gone all Swifty um, <laughs> there's a lot of Swift in there that wasn't there before like default examples are all in Swift now not in um, Objective-C which is like whoa when did that happen I I, you know, I must have blinked two, oh, for two years, and it's totally different. Anyway, sorry. So I'm a, I'm a fan of IDEs. Um. Uh, it's, it's interesting. The, the one IDE that hasn't really been mentioned because nobody seems to like it um, is Eclipse. And you can get all sorts of different extensions for Eclipse, and I've never found them to work very well. And the one thing I don't want to do with Eclipse is what it's actually designed for, which is, of course, to write in Java. Um, but I guess none of us actually write any Java. Yeah, there, are so, there are so many different versions of Eclipse, like out there there's PHP Storm is really Eclipse underneath it with a load of extra stuff there's loads of different Storms aren't there um, not that I use them but they're all Eclipse um, uh, no WebStorm's um, something else is it? not Eclipse underneath I thought it was Eclipse underneath no no it's not. I, I mean, I know what Eclipse feels like, and it's not this. Oh, okay. It, web WebStorm and PHP Storm, and they're all su- something with. Yeah, yeah. With, it's, it's it's all the same IDE underneath, underneath, and it's all written in Java, but it's not. Yeah. It's not Eclipse. Oh, Eclipse's okay. Eclipse's thing is that the. They use they use the SW. So there's two things. One of which is they think that it's their file system. Right? There's this. My big beef with Eclipse is that the moment you let it loose on your machine, you have no idea where any of the files are, right? Because it's it's going to manage that file system for you, and and it's going to hide things any which way it wants to, and it's none of your damn business, um, which annoys the hell out of me. I, I just can't cope with that. And then the other thing it does is it drives the screen using SWT, which is an arcane, ugly JNI plugin that never worked very well for anybody. Um, Have any, has anybody experienced the extreme pleasure of using the BlackBerry emulator and their tool stuff to develop things for the BlackBerry? I'm going to I do remember seeing. <laughs> I do. I do remember seeing somebody use it and saying, "Good luck." And walking away, 
<laughs> I mean, you have to go through about 25 screens just to download the emulator for each model. And uh, I needed that because I needed to look at what stuff was certain things were going to look like on a black, various Blackberries. Uh, and just the way that whole... Div- we used to, uh, by the way, we I, all used to know Alec, who was I have a, in charge uh, of the developer think program at one time. I think the answer to that question is, and where are they now? Yeah, well, because... But it was really, really restrictive. Uh, The more modern approach of everybody is to make, you know, to actually sell their APIs to death, making it really, really easy to sign up for stuff. Anyway, we're kind of far afield here. where do we go from here? Anybody? Where would you like to go with this discussion before we close it off? Well, you, you asked earlier what I was, so I'm, I'm going to be at Kami Elio World. Right. You asked earlier what I was going to be talking at Kami Elio World about. Um, the, the short answer is um, merging lots of things together um, and utilizing mm, APIs that are available today um, to get more more information out of them, um, whether or not it's um, taking your voice stream from a WebRTC call and setting it up and getting it um, analyzed, um, changed, uh, moved for, uh, speech, speech to text, and then and do analysis on it or or whatever. Um, being able to being able to utilize APIs that are out there today that big companies give us. Um, all this computing power at very, very cheap um, costs compared to what it would have cost many, well, only a couple of years ago. Um, merging all these things together um, to give us something amazing. Uh, I think the talk is called um, We've Got the Smart, but what can we do with it now? Something along those lines. Um, or We've Got Magic. I, anyway, it had a Harry Potter reference in it. Um, we've got magic. What do we do with it? Creating that that magical experience for users um, where where you don't even have to, I guess when you call into your gas company um, because your gas has stopped working, um, instead of getting through to someone, why doesn't the phone call or live chat or SMS or whatever have already said to you, oh, we know your problem. Uh, we already know about your lack of gas. It's going to be fixed in five hours. Um, doing these clever things, using clever APIs that we've now got access to. That's what my talk's about. Great. That's a very good point. Uh, the, the future would be, I mean, the the lowest point of the day is when you're calling. You've already scoured the website of the electricity provider or the phone pro- or somebody, and you call them up and they say that every all the agents are busy. It's going to be about 19 minutes before they get to you. And then all of a sudden, this glib voice goes, for more information, go to our website, www. And I mean, you've like spent three days on it already. Uh, and you know, uh, plus the website told you to call this number. Right. So <laughs> Alison was on Clue on ClueCon Weekly. Uh, right. I the caffeine now spy. Um Alison was on ClueCon Weekly a couple of weeks ago talking about IVRs. Um and and she was like, Don't tell people to go look out a website because they already have. Yeah, that's how they find um, Yeah, exactly. I just spent um literally timed three and a half minutes, which is an eternity on an IVR. It really is. Uh, going circling around and around and trying to find the human operator. You know, you say human operator, you press star, you press pound, you press zero, whatever you do, it's like I'm Sorry, that is not an account number or something. <laughs> it just goes on and on. And I the, finally yeah, got somebody. They haven't called me back yet, by the way. But right, the, these things should just be clever, and they should yeah. they should already know. Um, they already have all of our information in some form. They should already know what we're ringing about. Yeah, well, they're or, asking your or, phone number when as, your caller ID is working too. So. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> or as Tim keeps telling me, not just calling, um, whether or not it be SMS or be it live chat or or in app or whatever. But you know, I spent seventeen minutes on an IVR hold earlier this week and that's that's absurd if you're going to at a certain point 
if you if you know what's what your hold times are because you have queue management right because you're running a call center of some description you should you know have somebody's details or collect their details and offer to call them back and not keep them on a hold but it requires a business that has some concern about its customers more so maybe than its bottom line and oftentimes you have businesses where um kind of big enough that they don't really have any specific or holistic concerns about anything right everybody's concerned about their what's on their desk but Mm -hmm. that's it like at AT at&t's old motto we're not happy until you're unhappy Unhappy, yeah i'm gonna call (laughs) gonna call kathleen in to remind you of the deadline kathleen for clucon yes we uh our speaking deadline is getting much much closer uh may 1st it's much sooner than we have done in years past so if you haven't submitted a speaking proposal go do that um takes like five minutes we just need a little bit of information information and then you'll be good to go um don't miss it may 1st 2017 okay and daniel says that he thinks he submitted something (laughs) why he does not sure of that but uh let's fast track daniel because uh, we're going to be seeing him soon in berlin and you're going to be there too kathleen and if you don't fast track daniel then you're not going to get a good lunch and with that okay anybody any last minute business old business new business here all right other other than um it now seems like just default part of ivrs now where they say we're experiencing high volumes of calls right now um it's just part of IVRs now. Um, it, there is there is no truth in it at all. And like 30 seconds later, you'll then get answered maybe. Um, but it's just part of an IVR now. We, people tried to be clever like five years ago and go, oh, we're experiencing high volumes. Like let's change our let's change our message. Oh, we're not experiencing high volumes anymore. Let's let's get rid of that message. No, they just do it. It's really annoying. Um, anyway, well, I think putting something. I think putting customers off of contact uh, of the the idea of contacting you is very common. And the bigger the company, the, the more that happens. Yeah. And I'm always amazed. I had an insurance company thing, a huge company, and I filled out their contact form. I got an immediate acknowledgement and we got an email probably within 24 hours. Um, I mean, not a boilerplate, either a real email saying this is, uh, they gave the answer. You're going to get this document. It's going to be, you should get it in the next week, blah, blah, blah. And it was totally cool. But that is the exception to the rule for sure. All right. With that, I guess we'll close off this VUC, move on to the mature audiences only section. And uh, we ask you to join us next week, which I'm not sure is booked, but I did make some announcements. We have a calendar, by the way, VUC.me slash topics. Uh, and you can see who's going to be when. And, um, and that's it. I'm reading IRC and I've got to I've shut this off because I'm distracted. Okay. See you next week, hopefully. And see you at Kameo World in a couple of weeks. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our host at PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.